Over the last week, there have been a series of instructions highlighting different aspects of our experience that may come into the forefront of our awareness. This morning, I just wanted (coughs) to review the basic instructions in the service of understanding the simplicity of practice. Sometimes there are a lot of words describing the different aspects of experience that can be known. We may get the idea that we're supposed to be looking for certain things or thinking about it all. And yet the practice itself is very simple. The most basic meditation instruction of all was suggested by my teacher Manindraji. He said, if you sit and know you're sitting, the whole of the Dharma will be revealed. So that could be a starting place, just to sit and know you're sitting. Staying aware that you're sitting. And in that awareness, different experiences will become predominant. Sit and know you're sitting. That awareness could be framed in the phrase, there is a body. Very simple. It's just letting the attention, letting the awareness settle into the body in quite an open way. We're grounded in the awareness, there is a body. And in that open framework, different experiences will arise, will appear by themselves. Within the openness of there is a body, we may feel certain sensations arising within that framework. So we become aware of those sensations. Within the framework there is a body, we may begin to experience the body breathing. It's those particular sensations associated with the breathing process. When that becomes predominant, we simply are aware of that. Within the open framework, there is a body. Sounds may appear. And so we become mindful of hearing. We're grounded 
in the awareness there is a body and at the same time open to whatever is experiencing, experienced within that framework just as it appears, just as it arises. The sensations of the breath, other kinds of sensations, sounds, Sometimes people use the breath or the frame there is a body as an anchor, as something to come back to, something to rest in. Still staying open to any other experience that presents itself predominantly. At times the noting technique can be helpful if the mind is getting confused or is not clear what it is that's arising, just a very soft mental note, a whisper in the mind, acknowledging the present moment experience. Could be a very soft note with respect to the breathing, in, out, rising, falling. could be a note with respect to any particularly strong sensations that are calling the attention. Pressure, tightness, vibration. It's just a way of framing that particular moment's experience with the soft note in order to see it and experience it more clearly. like a frame around a picture. We ground ourselves in the awareness there is a body. And then are mindful of whatever arises within that space, moment to moment. In addition to the physical sensations of the breath or other sensations or sounds, different mental experiences may arise. And they can be noticed or noted in exactly the same way. They're just another arising appearance. So we could note thinking. If there's a strong emotion, we open to the emotion. Sadness, grief, 
happiness, excitement, boredom. There's no need to go digging for emotions. We're sitting at ease. There is a body. Resting in the present moment. And simply receptive to whatever is arising by itself. When we're feeling a strong emotion, then that becomes the object of our exploration. Exploring the nature of the emotion, rather than getting too involved in the story of it. Anger feels like this. Fear feels like this. Joy feels like this. Compassion feels like this. <coughs> so we're becoming mindful of the universal nature of all these experiences. When thoughts or emotions or other mental states are no longer predominant, we very simply rest back in the awareness there's a body, reconnecting perhaps with the breath, if you have been using that as an anchor, reconnecting with other physical sensations, And with all of this, it's helpful to intermittently check the attitude in the mind regarding these different experiences. And that can be done even with things as simple as the breath. We're just feeling, breathing in, breathing out. And we ask the question, what's the attitude in the mind? Sometimes simply by asking the question, we can find the mind <coughs> relax back from a wanting we might not have even known was there. Maybe the subtle wanting for concentration or calm or wanting even the next breath. So periodically checking the attitude in the mind with the different arising experiences. We're feeling different bodily sensations. What's the attitude? Is there aversion? Is there clinging? Different emotions. What's the attitude towards them? Are we lost in them? Are we pushing them away? And very often, the question, what's the attitude, is enough. It doesn't even particularly need an answer. The answer is often revealed in the very asking of the question. There's no need to give it a lot of thought. 
And to follow up a little from last night's talk, if it's of interest, you might take a few minutes at a time as you're being with the breath, as you're being with sensations, as you're being with the sense there is a body. You could use a special, special mental note. You might note dying moment. Just as a reminder reminder of death, awareness of death. Doesn't require any thinking about it. It's just that simple reminder that heightens our awareness of the moment. In the special context of remembering death. Notice the quality of your mind in those moments when you remember a dying moment. What is the mind like in that moment? No future, there's no past, there's no story, there's just a vivid awareness of what that present moment experience is like. So if it's of interest, you might experiment even for a few minutes at a time with this and see if you connect in some way with this particular practice. And if not, if it's confusing in some way, Just let it go.
Do you have any questions about the meditation instructions? All day. <laughs> uh, I think it's, I would experiment, uh, but I think you could use it a lot. Uh, you know, if, it, if you did connect with it and you find that it does bring the mind right back into the moment in that continuous, vibrant way, uh, I would use it a lot and then say, you know, if, if at a certain point the mind loses the momentum or the interest, might let it go for a bit and then come back to it. I missed just this last thing you said. Being, uh, is, is the instruction about being vigilant at the craving, clinging order, and um, and kind of you know, when you watch, when you see uh, clinging arising, watching how it not go there, or is it more that uh, you notice oh clinging is there and somehow letting it go? And if so, what is the movement in the mind in that not clinging or letting it go? And how is it different from letting go or craving? <laughs> Okay, so the question was about this, uh, these links between craving and clinging, how to distinguish them, kind of the emphasis on trying to catch that point between craving and clinging, and how to do that, and when one becomes aware of the clinging, how to let go of it. Just in terms of distinguishing the two mind states, uh, one might almost think... That the craving is more of the wanting in the mind, and the clinging is more the holding on. So it's it's kind of a natural extension. If the if the wanting, if the desire, if the craving, is not being seen, then it very naturally will lead to the next step. Oh, we crave, we desire something, we want it and then we're holding on. So it's a different uh, activity of the mind, but one, the clinging comes very naturally out of the craving, if we're not aware. I think the point, the, the more interesting point of investigation, I think, and perhaps an easier one, is not so much between craving and clinging, but between uh, pleasant feeling and craving and desire because that's really where the links you know in this chain can be more easily uh, understood and broken so for example if you become aware of a desire and perhaps clinging in the mind even if you're not seeing so clearly the difference between those two but you're aware 
of that complex, you might look back, this is kind of a retro, retroactive mindfulness, look back to the pleasant feeling of the object that you're craving. Right? It, and it might be, it could be anything. You know, it could be some pleasant fantasy, it could be a pleasant sensation in the body, It could be uh, a pleasant mind state that we're desiring to continue. So the awareness of the desire clinging spectrum actually becomes uh, feedback. It's like a mindfulness bell telling us, oh, there was some experience that was pleasant and now I'm going for it. So look back and see if you can become mindful of the pleasantness. Right? So this is mindfulness of Vedana. And it's very interesting to see the difference, and this, this is a profound part of the practice, this, this goes right to the heart of liberation, to practice being able to experience pleasantness as pleasantness. So we're not pushing it away, we're we're taking in, we're being receptive to the experience of pleasantness. But if we're mindful of that, rather than identified or lost with it, it doesn't lead to desire. We're just there in the mouth. Oh, pleasant, pleasant, pleasant. So right there, the chain is broken. And likewise, just in the opposite way, with unpleasant, instead of it leading to the desire to get rid of, we train ourselves, oh, unpleasant. It's quite remarkable to find that place, that space of mind that can be mindful in this non-reactive way. Pleasant, it's okay, we just experience it, see it come and go. Unpleasant, fine, it's just, it's just the exploration of that experience of unpleasantness. That's the place that I would really look. The Buddha made a, a strikingly, I don't know what the right word is, so strikingly enlightening statement when he said, as long as there's attachment to the pleasant, an aversion to the unpleasant, liberation is impossible. That's how important this is. You know? And so, generally people might hear that and think, oh, I'll never get there. <laughs> you know, because the conditioning for desire for pleasant, desire to get rid of unpleasant is so strong. And it is, it's deeply conditioned. So I wouldn't think of it particularly as some final goal, although that can be out there, but it is very possible to experience that in a moment. And so we really are experiencing the depth of what the Buddha was teaching, even if it's just for a few moments, when we're mindful of pleasant, and it stays there. We're mindful of unpleasant, doesn't go anyplace. 
And so just these moments of coming to that place, it's really a place of equanimity. Uh, And even if it's just for a few moments, we are actually tasting in those moments the depth of the practice. And then we just practice putting more and more of those moments together. That's why the suggestion to frequently check the attitude in the mind, it's really about this. You know, we're we're checking the attitude. Is there attachment? Is there desire for something pleasant? Is there aversion to something unpleasant? And for me, I I find a lot of uh, energy and inspiration in the practice when I can take these points of teaching which are pointing really to the very essence of freedom, to the very essence of awakening, liberation, and think of it not, again, as some far-off attainment, but, okay, I can touch that for a moment. Because then we get a very deep understanding of what the practice is really all about. And it's, as we all know, it's not going to be perfect, and then we're, we're caught up again, in our reactivity, but we've had a taste. Oh yeah, this this is possible for a moment, or for two moments. So it really enlivens the practice. If I'm understanding the question, it was kind of appreciation, appreciating in the course of the day, understanding this whole run of activities and experiences being a process, and now in asking the question, kind of a feeling of nervousness or... That's what, the, that's what my great discovery was. That as, as I tried to convey, remembering death. I, I don't know how to express it exactly. Just remembering or, or having the awareness of it in the moment. Not, not having a whole 
discursive thing about it. It's just it's just the bare remembering. Because in that moment there's no past or future, the mind becomes so alive and so awake and so vibrant and we could say and so loving in that moment. Because all the things that obscure that fall away. You know, so Kondanya. He was he was the one who got first enlightened. <laughs> Just to follow up on that, the way it works for me also is not so much thinking about this, but at every moment thinking about being alive, like life, like gratefulness huh? for the aliveness uh-huh. in this moment. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Sure, that that that's doing it from the other side. Mm-hmm. Comes to the same thing comes to the same place. Yeah. Yeah. So that, that brings a yeah. lot of a vibrant energy. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Yeah. You know, with all of this, and with this instruction and all the others, again, remember, the Buddha talks, taught so many different methods, you know, and so many different perspectives. We can enter into the Dharma through so many different doors. So everything that's suggested are really suggestions. You know, okay, try it out and see if it's helpful. But the caution in that advice is given that you may hear a lot of different suggestions, don't get confused. You know, kind of settle as best you can on some very simple practice that seems to work for you. And then establish yourself in the momentum of that practice through the day. And when there's a feeling of stability and momentum, then it's possible to bring in you know, other aspects and other suggestions. But be watchful that I'll do a little of this and a little of that and a little of that and a little of that. And the mind just gets confused. So that's, that's a caution. You know, keep the practice very simple, straightforward, in whichever way it works for you. Okay, last question. The condition you mentioned uh, towards uh, avoiding the unpleasant and uh, clinging to the pleasant is, of course, also determined by evolution. So it seems to me that in the practice, not only are we swimming against the, the current of um, you know, dominant culture, but also against the, the drive of evolution, which would seem even more formidable. It's formidable. <laughs> That's why you're here. <laughs> no, it, it is, although this is going out on a limb a little bit, so maybe we're, we will be opening up a broader understanding of evolution as more and more people begin to see that in doing this, we are actually diminishing and coming to the end of suffering. And so as we internalize that experience, that might become its own evolutionary momentum. So this is Goldstein's theory of evolution. (laughs) 
Darwin, move over. <laughs> Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.